It's time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. We have a guest today. It is a Friday episode, and so as you guys are aware, I'm going right into the episodes, the interviews, if you will, with the uh, guest that we have coming on. And today we are going to be joined by Douglas Kirk. He's a musician in the Bakersfield area, actually played in a band with my girlfriend, Valerie Burns, a few years ago. He plays the bass, but he also has uh, you know, a great uh, history of playing different instruments. And we're going to talk about his musical journey today. So uh, we're going to bring him on the program right now. This is all new video for us in doing these things. So uh, let's see, we're trying something new. We got him in the waiting room. Let's uh, bring him on right now. And there we are, Douglas Kirk. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Matt. Outstanding, Doug. Uh, I got to ask you, um, you know, you're a musician. You like to get out. You like to perform. And not just that, but but practice. I mean, this this past few, well, past year, I would say, has had to have been tough for all musicians out there. Um, you're a, a member of the Angry Brian's. A uh, band up there in Bakersfield, and just tell me what the last year has been like for you uh, individually with this whole lockdown and everything. Um. Well, aside from all the, um, aside from all the changes in routine that um, everybody everybody's experienced in common, um, just how it's affected uh, my musical activities. Um, Henry Bryan's uh, mostly works as a um we mostly do like uh, like a outdoor festival kind of show circuit um large so larger venues and larger events and uh so after so the last year we've had no bookings at, for, at all mm. and in fact uh <laughs> when um we were uh booked last year to play in las vegas for saint patty's day which we've done for years now mm-hmm. And, and also the Irish festival in Henderson right there next to Vegas, um, the, uh, the weekend preceding St. Patty's day. And unfortunately, as the timing turned out, um, the festival canceled while we were on our way there, (laughs) Uh, but we already had the rooms, we we already had the rooms booked and everything. And, um, so we, we said, oh, well, we'll go hang out for a couple days and, you know, have the, enjoy the weekend and then do the performances on Monday and Tuesday night on Fremont street. And then we started to hear like mainly like on our newsfeed and stuff, little whisperings of what was going on. Um, do you remember the whole like bizarre toilet paper shortage thing and all that? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I'm sort of, you know, it was like from another world, you know, I'm looking at these images and, and, and then uh, anyway, um, but to keep, to keep it brief, um, Fremont Street got shut down um, on Sunday, um, the day before we were supposed to perform. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so the 
basically we were told like, um, sorry, shows are canceled. Um, so do whatever you want, go home. So that was very, uh, that was just disappointing to say the least. And so that was sort of like the, uh, the introduction to the, um, the, the following year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, you, you, I met you Douglas through, uh, you know, my girlfriend, uh, Valerie Burns played in the band with you, the angry Bryants for a short time. And yeah. it was fun for me to tag along and just, you know, watch you guys and hang out with you guys and learn, uh, what went into musicians performing and everything. You guys were very talented. It was fun for me to, to go to Vegas and watch you guys and, and just be like, okay, hey, I'm with the band. This is cool. Like, this is a new experience for me. Um, but yeah, you guys you guys traveled all over festivals. Um, you know, she went to Alaska with you guys. And uh, I think you guys performed in Iowa. You guys performed all over, you, you know, well-known band. Yeah. Um, I, I got to ask, you know, Valerie's no longer with the band anymore, but how did you get... Uh, how did you and the Angry Brian's come together since that's a band you've been in for quite some time now? Um, the drummer, uh, Walter Baldwin and I mm-hmm. were in a band that was, I mean, that you could probably describe as like adult alternative. And, and, and we were working in together in that band, you know, with other people for about three years or so, starting in 2003. And, our guitarist um being a younger man um made the uh decision that you couldn't criticize of to serve his country and so he enlisted in the navy so he had to step out and our singer was looking into a job opportunity in another part of the state so the band dissolved peacefully peaceably Mm. but walter um had also had already been a fan of of um, the genre that we would become part of, which was basically um, contemporary bands with sort of a modern sound, but heavily influenced by Celtic music, like mm-hmm. traditional Irish music, Scottish tunes, that sort of thing. And so, you know, as the band was as the band was dissolving, you know, Walter suggested, hey. It, I like these kind of bands. I'd like to try a project like that. And, you know, I was sort of like, well, I mean, we're already playing together and I wouldn't mind trying something different. So let's do it. Hmm. And he played in a traditional uh, pipe and drum band um, where it's just like 30 pipers and a guy on a big drum and then maybe (laughs) a dozen guys on the Highland snare, which is an instrument that looks like a tom drum. You know, like it's like a, a foot deep, but it's such a tight, has such a tight snare sound. It sounds like you're rapping on a table and they'd march and play. And it's a beautiful sound. Well, he recruited one of the um, bagpipers and said, you know, we'd like to try this. So when we first got together in the studio that we already had, it was just, you know, myself on bass, Walter on drums and a bagpipe player named um, uh, Robbie Burns. <laughs> Coincidentally with that. Oh, wow. No relation. Yeah, no relation. And um, anyway, um, really interesting guy, uh, uh, born in Ireland, raised in England and had served in the uh, English army in their bagpiping troop. And so they'd actually done ceremonies, performed for the queen and all that, which, you know, you you might get to listen to this and I got a rib about it. He'd never let anybody 
forget that. <laughs> but uh, but no, he was very very experienced player. But our sound uh, definitely evolved over the years because if you'd heard us back then, we sounded like I mean we didn't work, we didn't have any vocals, and it was basically like. Um, and I probably related this story to Valerie too. That Robbie would just blaze away at these jigs and reels, <laughs> and I would just listen in there for sort of implied chords, even though the drone are always in that B flat but I would listen to the melody and find other chords behind it and Walt would just blaze away like almost like a punk beat and so that's all it was was just like you know it was like the bass player what was his name Paul Dirks or something like that and then Trey Cool from the drummer from uh, um, Green Day you know kicking out Billy Armstrong and just getting a bagpipe player. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's funny with music is that so much of it, if you really think about it, is about just experimentation. Let's start making sounds. Okay, let's blend this. Let's do that. Right. And that's what's so great about the, the art of music, really. And you yeah. guys sound like you didn't have a, a you know, a, a very detailed plan, but you kind of had an idea and it blended right. together eventually. And you guys uh, became the Angry Bryants. Now, for those of you who well, started out as 1916, 1916. Okay. So, so take me through name, that. Yeah. Take me through that. Well, why the original name and then why later the angry Bryans? Um, well, like we started this, this was, this was back. We, this was start starting in around like 2006 and we decided we right off the bat, we were like, we, we played at the fair sort of opening for another band. And so we did like three or four songs like this at, um, at the Kern County Fair. So we got away with it because it was just kind of bizarre enough for people to clap when we were done. And, uh, <laughs> but we were like, obviously this isn't all, all we're gonna do. So we decided, well, we need to get, need to get the guitar in there, need to get somebody could, that could sing, you know, better than me. And, um, and so we got Richard Cheney on board and originally to play guitar, but then he heard a, um, a, a pipe tune that he really liked and he looked up the words for it that originally had words for it too. And so we started just playing it and he started singing it. And the other three of us looked at each other like, this is awesome. We don't have to look for a singer. You know, we got both in one guy. And um, so, but it, it started evolving pretty quick as we figured like, well, we can't do the like I said, just the sort of punk three piece thing. And as we all started adding our own uh, musical sensibilities and experience into it, it became this like sort of Frankenstein thing that wasn't really traditional, but definitely had all that influence in it. And um, the name came from um, Walter threw it out there because, and, um, and if he listens to it, he's going to, give me the stink eye for this because I teased him about it <laughs> you know we we were very in a way here we were like sort of Scottish we're playing we're basing the songs around um Highland pipe you know melodies traditional melodies for the most part at first and wearing kilts we decided you know we're gonna sport the tartan like you know Robbie and uh Walt did in their in their troupe and um but what was always a fan of the Irish punk bands and stuff like that too. And so he liked the reference uh, to 1916 because that was the year of the Easter uprising in Dublin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I and, like uh, and, 
and I liked it. And I liked it because it was vague. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, sometimes people like choose a name that's that, that they mean to be very evocative of a mood. But to me, sometimes it's it's like assuming that all your stuff's good. You know, I mean, it's like you're going, I think we should call ourselves Annihilator. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or, you know, or Death Clock or whatever, you know, I, I liked the 1916 because I knew people would be curious about it. What does and, that mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah, what does that mean? And it's just, but it sounds historic. And then when you people would ask, you'd you t- that some people would know right away. They would yeah. go awesome. And then if some people asking you told them, they're like, "That's cool," you know. Um, the first year or so was playing the fair and playing pubs and uh, bars and stuff, Bakersfield, venturing out of town now and then, going down to San Diego, L.A up to Fresno, that sort of thing. But, you know, very quickly we learned that um, the bands that were already doing this sort of thing that we looked up to were doing these festivals. And that's one thing that was a pleasant surprise for me and took and gave me a whole different experience as as far as performing in public um, than I'd had before um, was that this was a, a genre that had an audience that attended events. You know what I mean? Yes. That's a so, very, very good point. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so it was, and it's not like it was because it was like Coachella or Austin city limits or something, you know, it's smaller, but it was like, it was like your County fair only it would be called like um, the San Diego Highland games. And so it had that theme and, you know, because like you've been to, been to, quite a few of them with us Mm -hmm. you know you get there and everybody's wearing kilts and all the vendors are except me except me no kilt no kilt doug what's that for me val still is mad that i haven't worn a kilt yet but i was the only guy there in the entire (laughs) that wasn't wearing a kilt you know what it is not it's it's a it's a very distinctive um (laughs) piece of attire but it is it is not the most practical or comfortable garment despite when some people think they're like all Oh, that must be nice and cool. And you got all that leg movement. And I'm like, yeah, you ball it all up trying to sit on it in the car. <laughs> it's and walking then when around you wear, with a blanket, man. And, and and being more of a, I guess, a, a bit more formal and stuffy person like myself. That, <laughs> well, I mean, because I see like some of the younger guys at the events and they got, um, they got a, a T-shirt with the sleeves ripped off and um a man bun and they got the kilt on but they're sagging it past their knees and then they're wearing no socks with their vans on cool guys and, yeah. it, and that's cool yeah and like <laughs> when, at first at first our guitarist richard he would kind of do it that way and he could pull it off and i just felt r- ridiculous if i tried to do that so i always wore the <laughs> traditional stockings and the flashers they call them you know with the little and the and and if not the gillies like they call them but I at least wore like you know dignified like black leather shoes yeah. and that sort of thing maybe wear a vest you know and uh and so, but once you do all that you're so covered up and bound up <laughs> and the kilt the kilt goes over your belly button and you got like a three inch wide belt believe me oh. and all the events are outside and it's always doing the warm parts of the year so you get back to the room mm. and mm. you're just dank and damp all over and it would be like a ritual me and rich used to like room together all the time 
and you get back to the room and you just like strip down to your boxers, you know, scratch your legs and you're just like, oh, ah, let it breathe, let it breathe. <laughs> let it breathe. <laughs> you know? Now, of course, as you probably heard, like a lot of the guys um, like to go what I mean, they think the traditional way to wear one is with no undergarments. No, no chance. And, yeah, when, well, that's what, and Walt always did that. So he always, <laughs> he insisted on it. So he was always a little breezier, but honestly, to me, it didn't make that much difference. We all left sweat on the stage. Oh boy. Drummers, you know? Doug. Drummers. I mean, that, <laughs> well, the guys in the Walter, back. I, Walter, he, he has to do everything like is like all the way kind of, you know, <laughs> so yeah. definitely a louder personality than me. I don't know how we stayed friends all these times. <laughs> you know? hey, opposites attract, man. Opposites We're like, attract. Ever, ever seen the movie Sideways? uh no but now i definitely oh, need to anyway i'm just saying we're we're in a way we're like an odd couple you know i love it well, well let me ask you that kind of yeah your the music the sound it all works it's all so super unique i was uh, so proud of al for playing with you guys when i first heard her explaining it all to me and then like yeah it's a celtic rock sand sound and then she yeah. played for me some of the the music i was like oh wow you're gonna play this and then to see you guys on stage was really something else and kind of back to the name thing. I got to ask you this because oh, okay. one of my favorite movies is uh, that thing you do. And uh, Tom Hanks uh, seen that. starred and directed and a couple funny things in it. One is the bass player, which you're the bass player, the bass player in the movie. They never say his name. He's always the bass player. He's just, yeah. that's just, that's his title. Hey, the bass player. And even in the end credits, it says TB player. And so it's, <laughs> kind of the running joke of the uh, yeah hey where's, i didn't know they did it in the credits too yeah oh it's hilarious <laughs> but when they came up with their name in the movie they wanted to be the wonders we're the wonders right. and he, he they, they tried to they complicated it by saying well we're going to be the, the the one like o-n-e durs the one yeah. right and everyone's like hey who are these oneeders the oneters <laughs> yeah i remember guys. that yeah and so finally, there's like, just be the wonders, W-O-N-D-E-R. Right. So that was their th one of my favorite movies. But anyway, um, <laughs> when did you guys then go to become the Angry Bryans? Um, it was right around the end of um, 2014. We were getting ready to release um, our album, We Came to Fight, um, in early 2000. Let me see. Yeah, it was early 2000. Um, but for at least a year and a half coming up to that we started as we spread out as we started to go venture further east and get a little bit of a reputation in that genre mm -hmm. we kept and we kept bumping into a band called 1916 really? <laughs> that was based that was based out of um rochester new york oh man and and they were pretty good they were different than us they were more of like what walt would call like an irish punk band didn't didn't have a bagpipe player I think there was like drums, bass, two guitars. And I think sometimes they would have like somebody pop in on a whistle or fiddle. And, um, and I thought they were pretty good. Um, but like they, but they, their sound wasn't, wasn't that much like ours, but we kept bumping into them. And I, I wasn't paying attention to a lot of that, but I was hearing it from our manager and, and, and a couple of my bandmates. And I guess as, and then also um, our, our management um, BT entertainment was just, was trying to get, trying to get some interest from some smaller labels or some labels that had 
um, a department under them that worked that that recorded this genre. And they said they might be interested, but they were aware of that issue. And they and I guess they basically told um, the management that we would rather you resolve that now mm. than it become an issue that we have to resolve later. And you know, we'd had some personnel changes over the years anyway. So we just decided, yeah, let's go ahead and just change our name. Walt was Walt said he was tired of explaining to people what 1916 meant. <laughs> and, and that's why he always dumped it on me, you know. And he said, I'm sick of people asking what 1916 means anyway. So we said, let's go ahead and change it. So, so then I got to ask you, I mean, it's not like you guys solved the problem necessarily because you guys changed your name to the angry Brian's, uh, yeah. no one in the band's name is Brian. So how, did, you know, people well, here's, are... here, here's how it kind of happened. Me, we started tossing out names and Richard and I being the more nerdy, serious ones in the band, we're looking, we're, I'm, I'm, tr we're trying to think of things with like historical reference or some kind of gravitas or something you know or like I, I one rich tossed out was um now i'm gonna screw it up now oh um morrigan because i guess in um celtic legend there was a, a goddess of battle mm. or something like that called morrigan and some of the other people in the band thought it sounds like morrissey People are going to go more again. How do you spell that and all that, you know? Yeah. And um, I don't remember who tossed it out first, but, and we went through a bunch of names, you know, and we were, we were doing a thing where like everybody writes down a few names and then you Google it and find out it's being used already. And, uh, <laughs> but somebody tossed out the angry Brian's and originally what they said they meant was because our, our manager's name and by this time he was touring around with us and you've met him brian oh, brian yeah. tower and uh and everybody said you know the, the angry brian's because there's brian and he's always freaking angry <laughs> and at first like me and richard were just like it sounds goofy like i don't really like it but we went it wound up getting on the short list of three and we said, okay, let's give these names to Brian and the man and the a label guy he's talking to and let them decide. And so that's how he wound up with it. And actually one thing that helped it grow on me that made me maybe accept it a little bit more was they pointed out there were other bands in our genre that were doing that sort of like adjective name kind of thing, like the sort of like flogging Molly, mm. um, uh, black eyed Dempsey's, um, dropkick Murphy's. So when say they said, so the angry Brian's, it kind of fits that. So, yeah. And it's a good name. And, you know, and just like, and honestly, just like any band name. I mean, I remember even when I was a kid, I thought like, really the Beatles <laughs> for the, for the, the scope and the depth of their music and all that, you know, they could have, they could have gotten away with anything really pretentious if they wanted to but like the Beatles and now you can't even imagine another name for the band after, after sure. a year or two, I was like, 
I can't imagine being called something else, you know? Oh yeah. No, and then again, Val's not with the band anymore, but you know, a lot of the consistencies have stayed. You talked mm-hmm. about the kilts, the, you know, the girls wear the mini kilts, uh, the rich and, and of, uh, of course, Walt or when rich was a singer and the guitarist for the band, you know, they're, they're pretty out there and, uh, you know, radical dudes. And I always appreciated uh, your look, Doug, because yeah. you always had that, you, you always threw like some kind of hat on, which I always liked. Mm-hmm. You stood out a little bit, kind of quietly doing your thing, but also not just quietly. I mean, you were an integral part of it all, singing vocals. And I, I, I don't have a great music ear, but I can tell, you know, when those necessary parts, such as the bass parts, uh, do yeah. come in pretty clutch. So I always appreciated you as a, as you know, a Thank standout you. member of the band. I, uh, your vocals, Doug, very, un- oh, very underrated uh, vocals as well. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I always knew that. Um, and uh, I've been work, I've actually been working on them because I've been recording some stuff myself. Mm. Um, so I took some vocal coaching um, from a, a teacher here in town and it's and it's helped a lot you know I just I got comfortable with the the backing vocal thing so I never really worked on it that much mm-hmm. I just kind of um, knew that the level I was at that I was acceptable as a backing vocalist but I didn't I wasn't strong enough to really lead a band so um, yeah so we we always found somebody it was it was too easy to find somebody way better <laughs> to, yeah. the, those same and we only and and we're on our third person now and unfortunately like we she's only really done like two gigs with us oh really we actually are three three really yeah, because that's right. our yeah. our introductory gig in vegas um two years ago and then um a small event down in ventura and then a festival in um, uh, Moab, Utah, mm-hmm. in November of 19. And then we were gearing up for like, okay, we're going to hit 20 and hit the ground running in Vegas. And I already told you that story. Um, so we haven't, we haven't performed since. So in a way, you know, she's been with us a little over a year, but we've hardly performed that much. She, we, she did, we did do some recordings and did three songs. Um, that we put online and she's on those and sounds great. Well, let me ask you this. Cause um, I, I don't have a ton of music experience, but this always baffles me with musicians uh, and, and singers. I don't care if it's the guitar, if it's the piano, if it's the drums, I cannot <laughs> comprehend how people play an instrument and sing at the same time. I, I, I can't wrap my head around it. I think playing is hard enough. Singing is hard enough to do those two things at the same time. Even if it's just background vocals, I mean, mm-hmm. am I crazy or is that kind of a real challenging aspect of music? Um, it's well, it's, it's, it's a hurdle to mm-hmm. get over, but then once you, once is, I think once you learn to do it a little bit, then it's, easier to do it a little bit it gets easier and easier to do it a little bit more okay and so you know and and um you're kind of handicapped because you can't play and sing at the same time even if you're a great singer yeah <laughs> you know? i'll let you play you the, to, the trumpet yeah you have to do like the kind of blues thing you know you'd have to do some like licks on the trumpet and then <laughs> belt out some lines and then you know 
you even can, if the trumpet's down, you're out of breath. You know, I don't know if ska, right. <laughs> ska guys do that or not because the trumpet isn't playing the whole song. But yeah, right. It's like my lips are swollen and I'm done for, for yeah. my uh, little trumpet experience. Well, let me ask yeah. you, Doug. Let's go back to uh, kind of your childhood and kind of your introduction to music. Uh, first of all, where did you grow up? Were you always a Californian? Um, no, my I was born in uh, uh, Quantico, Virginia. Wow. Um, at the naval base there. My folk, my, both of my parents were in the service. Oh, okay. So, so, um, but we didn't live there. I was just born there, I guess, because it was the closest hospital. And then my dad went, um, my dad went to Vietnam and he was in the Marine Corps. Um, he wasn't drafted. He was already enlisted. So, um, to see 39, 49. So, Sorry, I was just pausing to hazard a guess. I think he enlisted around like 57 or so. Okay. So he would, or he'd already been in for a while when he did his tours over there. And then, and, and my mom and myself went up to stay with his family in New York, where he was from. Hmm. And so we moved around the East coast a little bit. Um, and then wound up in uh, Washington state, Puget sound area, lived in uh, around Tacoma, Washington. Oh, and um, and then my folks separated and um, and then I wound up down in here in Bakersfield. Mm -hmm. And when I got here at first, I I didn't like the climate and I didn't have any friends. <laughs> and I but I, I so I was thinking I'm going back up north as soon as I can. Uh, it, but it took me a couple years to do that and it was very disappointing to see that none of my friends waited for me to come back <laughs> they all had more important things to do so they all had lives and they all, and so a lot of them left the Tacoma area so I worked at a call center up there for a while and then came back down here and you know and probably everybody's heard either tells a story like this or hears a story like this after I was now that I, you know, after I was down here for a while and put down some roots, and especially now that I've been down here like a long time now, you know, I, I wouldn't change it because if, even if I can go back in time and like, and stay up there, I, I wouldn't have anybody that's in my life now, mm. in my life, except for my, my brothers and my mother, you know. So how old were you when you came to Bakersfield? 16. And was Bakersfield your first city you visited in california um no when i was when i was really little for a while mom and dad lived in um anaheim oh okay and i don't remember that much but i see the disneyland pictures yeah yeah and uh and my mom but my mom was in the marine corps and she would come down to camp pendleton for training every year like they're sort of boot re doing boot camp again kind of thing yeah and so um, we'd, we'd been to a few places in California, but I didn't really know it well. And when we were moving down here, uh, my mom had a job lined up from a Marine Corps buddy and originally in San Luis Obispo. And it actually, and then actually fell through while we were in transit. <laughs> and so she called some other Marine Corps buddies, that's, you know, basically saying, putting out like a, an alert to all of them. We're moving to California. Um, we don't know where we're going yet kind of thing. And, um, and she had a, 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 a 
good Marine Corps buddy that uh, lived here in Bakersfield. Okay. And, and got her a job with um, Unical, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was a petroleum company. And uh, yeah, and so we, and so we wound up here. So it's always funny to me, like, uh, you know, I've, I tease Bakersfield and, and I don't, I'm a lifelong, you know, LA County guy. And, you know, it's like ah, anything North of Bakersfield, that's, that's like Oregon uh, is kind of my running joke, but <laughs> you know uh, yeah. yeah. I can't imagine, uh, you know, setting up shop in Bakersfield and being like, Oh, here we are Californians. <laughs> you know, it's just like totally different up there. You know, so, what, Like I said, at first, at first there were a lot of things I, I didn't care for about it, but then once I started making friends and, and working with people and getting to know the place and, you know, to me, to me, and, and I, and it's changed a lot since I've been here. And, and honestly, now I think, I mean, I might be biased because I've lived here a long time. And so there's some appeal just because of the familiarity to it, but it's grown so much it's tripled in it's more than tripled in size since I moved here. Wow. So there's a certain um, degree of, I mean, it, it's going to become a little bit more cosmopolitan just because of that, because you just have so much more new influences. Oh yeah. And more venues opening up. And I, I mean, at first, when I first moved here, all I heard was mopey people saying there's nothing to do because, <laughs> because, well, down where you live, I mean, there's, you're in this crazy, you're in almost like a, a quilt of communities that just merge into one sea of like, of like, uh, uh, restaurants and venues and theater groups and sports arenas. And, you know, you, 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 where you almost think I could never explore all of it in a lifetime. True. And Bakersfield being, um, you know, a little bit more of an island, uh, you know, people would say, oh, there's nothing to do here, nothing to do here. And as I got more involved in, in stuff around town, you know, I would tell them, well, what is it you're into that you want to do? You know, I'm into the theater and stuff. And I, and I would say, you've got four local theaters and they do great work. Do you have you have you have you tried out for any of those plays? There was one I heard about the other day. No, then I'm like, oh, well, then keep your moping to yourself, you know, oh, like so they acted they, they, to me, it's like this defeatist attitude, like there's nothing going on here, but my life would be, you know, my life would be uh, 4th of July if I lived down in L.A. Oh, yeah. And, and, like, and you know, it's not like that all the time there, we we do have a lot of options. I, I don't mm -hmm. doubt, you know, a lot of options, even though this past year has been shut down, but um so I, I think about that often, like as far as moving out of here, which I want to do someday. Uh, now you live in, you live in Upland. We are out in uh, Val is from Upland. We now oh, okay. live in East Vale. We're looking to move maybe back towards that area, Ontario or something like that here in the next few months. Okay. But so we are, I think, well, we're Riverside County, right? So we're out of LA County, which is actually, okay. <laughs> but anyway, we're not too far from Anaheim actually, Doug, you're uh, okay your early spots. But so, so let me ask you this, Mr. Kirk, when, <laughs> when, uh, when did music kind of become of, of interest to you? Was it a young age? Was it later in life? Uh, kind of what was your musical beginning and maybe some of the early instruments you, you played and what you, uh, saw in the future for yourself playing music? I think when I was, when I was little, um, I just liked, like a lot of people, I liked listening to music. 
and everybody, everybody, I think everybody likes listening to music, but I mean, I would just immerse myself in it and, and think about all the parts going on in it and why it sounds the way it does all together. My dad played guitar and he played mostly, he played like some folk kind of stuff, like almost a sort of Pete Seeger kind of stuff. But then he also experimented with like kind of flamenco music and stuff like that. All, all, all this is on an acoustic guitar, but he was also into music too. And sometimes he put the, uh, the splitter adapter and plug in the old rifle range, big fat seventies headphones, you know, <laughs> and, um, and we'd both sit in front of the, the stereo together and he'd put on music and we'd listen it, to it together. And so we'd listen to like Moody Blues and Led Zeppelin and other stuff he had. And so I was just, a, I guess you could say I was just a really like avid listener and enjoyer of music. But then I think it was like in fifth grade, um, we would have bands, like school bands from other schools come visit and perform. And so I'm in the auditorium with my friends. And, and like I said, this is the elementary school and I'm, I'm in fifth grade. And I think it was the band from one of the local high schools. And they had, it, it was a small band. They had, you know, the brass section and all that. But they also included, just to kind of kick it up a little bit, they also had a guy on a small kit and they had a kid playing bass guitar. And that wasn't my focus at the time, even though Quincy and I later played it. But so you had this kind of rock rhythm section, but then this whole brass thing going on. And they play, and they were playing like rock hits from the radio. They played a couple little classical things, but I remember they played "Smoke on the Water," and and it just it just floored me. I can't I can't explain why. I mean, because I'd heard stuff on the radio, but because it was live and it was loud, and seeing them play it, you know what I mean? It was like, you know, and of course they're doing the leads on the horns, you know, so it's like. But when they busted into the, the what I guess you'd call the riff, you know, do, 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 and then they're going bomb, 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 with the bass behind it. I just remember embarrassing myself because I was like, my gushing enthusiasm was like on my sleeve. And I just looked at my buddy next to me and I, I swear, I think I said the exact words. It was just something like this. You know, I just looked at looked at my friend and I go, band is bad. <laughs> band is bad, man. And I could remember other kids turning around and giving me that like eye rolling look, like what a dork, you know? Yeah. Well, and uh, go right so, ahead. And I was going to say, so I, so I joined the school band. Oh, you know, okay. so that's, what I went and begged mom and dad, can I, can you rent me a trumpet? And I, I played the band and, and I did, I did that to my, up till my sophomore year or so. What was your early impressions of playing the trumpet? Cause I started from scratch in seventh grade. I had sang in elementary school or whatever. I had no idea how to read music or any of that. My father yeah. had played trumpet. My grandfather had played trumpet. So I had a lot to live up to. And oh boy. <laughs> I fell, I fell in love with it. I, yeah. I did okay early on. I got much better. But some of my biggest surprises was, was like what you had to do with your lips, like to get into this tiny crevice and to make these different sounds. Yeah. I mean, what, what were your initial challenges or 
maybe the things you liked about playing the trumpet so early on? Um, I probably, probably had the same kind of same kind of challenges. I mean, the first thing was is just generating a, generating a sound out of it. Mm. <laughs> you know, because it's not natural at first. Your instinct, you know, you're you're ten or eleven years old, and you just put your lips on it and or put your lips against it or on the outside rim of the mouthpiece and you just think you blow like a kazoo, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So that's the first thing they teach you. They, I think I remember like our teacher used to make us just take the mouthpiece and get the <clears throat> out of it mm-hmm. almost. And, um, but yeah, that was the first, the first hurdle was just getting a clean tone out of it. Yeah. Oh, and definitely. Then, and being able to modulate the note a little bit by just going from like a E to a D to a C, you know, um, may, maybe a B. And, um, but then as you're well aware, there's a point where it's like, you know, since you make your voices, I mean, you make your trumpet's voice crack by using your lips to go shift up to that next gear up oh, and down man. those gears. And for those of, um, and for the folks in the, in the audience that um you know haven't played an instrument with a mouthpiece um that's why when you hear like um a, a piece like taps or what's the um matt's what's the one that's sort of like a, oh is it reverie reveille reveille okay yeah folks when you hear the when you hear the taps and the reveille and it's on a bugle and it doesn't have any keys so all those notes are just but by the lips modulating the pitch shifts up and down on the mouthpiece, which you can do on a trumpet. It just, it's the same yeah. uh, fingering either open or one finger yeah. or the other finger. You can pick a key and, and bum, 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 bum. yeah. And yeah. When, when you can, when you can do that, when, when you're a beginning trumpet player and you can do that, you're so pleased with yourself. Oh, like that's so what much. you feel. You know what I mean? Cause you're like, I, I got the lip thing down now. Yeah, you know? exactly. And it, just the different, the different tones and everything. What I love about the trumpet and I miss playing, I, I wish I could play more and uh, you know, I get to play for a lot of different things, but what I love about the trumpet is, is the sound. It can be a marching band sound. It could be in, in rock music. It, it's probably really, oh, yeah. really good sounding in jazz. Uh, a, mm-hmm. a, a muted trumpet is one of the sweetest sounds you'll hear. Oh yeah. It's in orchestras. It's in church music. It's in, all this wide variety of of uh, of music and you could say that about any instrument but i truly believe the trumpet really does uh shine in all the various genres of music so that's why i've always uh, loved it that's, and, you know, that's mil- a very good, that's you know? a very good point and that's why and that's why it's sort of like when somebody when a lot of people think of a brass instrument it's the one they think of yeah oh yeah because because it has so many to- it's like a human voice in a way Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can sound like Billie Eilish. You can sound like um, <laughs> you can sound like Johnny Cash. You can sound like Michael Stipe. You know, and yeah. uh, and like you, like you said, yeah, with the trumpet and and trumpeters have, um, you know, there's players like Lester Young and Miles Davis that had a distinctive like what some players called kind of a puckered sound, um, and uh, you know you can and people and this isn't my person, this isn't my insight, even though I enjoy trumpet playing and I also enjoy jazz music, even though I don't play it a lot on the bass, but um, I mean, I'm a big Miles Davis fan. Mm, good music. And, and look at all the t- different tones he gets 
And then, you know, of course he played the flugelhorn too sometimes, but, um, but yeah, I mean like play, play trumpet players develop their own distinctive tone that people recognize. And it's an, and the instrument itself is an inanimate object. I mean, except for the vowels, you know what I'm saying? But it, it's, it, they're generally the same material, the same length of the tubing, the mouthpieces oh, yeah. are the same. You can hand it around to different people and they play it, but then you <laughs> hand it to some, you hand it to a certain person and all of a sudden this different sound comes out. Well, well um, yeah. And, and anytime I hear Louis Armstrong, I'm just like, oh, I need a moment. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me just wait. Uh, but for me, what, this is another thing. I talked about singing and playing. This is another thing that baffles me. Now being a trumpet guy, there's three vowels. All right. Yeah. And there's only a certain combination you can have, you know, two yeah. down, I think uh, two and three, one, two, you know, like, I don't understand. <laughs> Clarin- Clar- I see clarinets or saxophones or oh. guitarists with the multiple like combinations. I, I can only yeah. use three fingers, man. That's, that's all I got. Right. I-, I can't do all these well, two hand stuff. I think I can, I can, um, I can relate to what you're saying. Um, because I've experimented with some other instruments and at least with, um, um, you know, and I play guitar too. So like I play more than one string and move around, but at least with a guitar, you can look at it. And, and when you glance down at the neck, there's a certain like visual logic to it because it it's, I don't want to use the word linear that might be misleading, but say, but you look at a single string and as you move up, if you as you move towards the bridge from the nut on the string, as you go up each fret, you're incrementally going up in pitch. So you can see that, like that makes sense. You could play a simple tune on one string, you know, and go da. Well, like you guys can't see me, but you know what I mean. You can go da 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 da. da you know. Yeah. And you can you can kind of see it, and then you catch on that the reason there's multiple strings is so that you got more range because as you get to a certain fret, then it's like the, the string above it or below it, I mean, can take over at that point. Mm-hmm. And, um, but well, I was going to say the reason I can re- relate to what you're saying is, is I've picked up a few other instruments <laughs> and uh, my daughter played flute for a while and oh. then she grew tired of it and decided that she maybe might want to play the fiddle instead. And she goes, I'm sorry, you know, that you rented the flute. And I said, and I said, that's okay because I, I love this i love the voice of the flute and oh, music that, and uh so i said i go uh you know i told my daughter i said no that's that's okay i'm, I'm gonna keep renting it for a while because i think i want to learn to play it and uh so i rented it for like about another month <laughs> <laughs> because just well all of a sudden i had the whole embouchure problem again because it's different you have the little like slot in the little curve thing and you blow over it and it was so frustrating to that was so hard for me to get a note out of it without moving it and then I'm looking at all those valves you know it looks like a shrunken sideways saxophone and it doesn't have any logic to it and I'm like (laughs) I'm at that point I was probably about like 35 or 36 and I was just like um I was like the old dog learning a new trick. You know, it's like, I'll, I'll just use the instruments I know how to play. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to learn how to play this stupid thing. I'll just find somebody else to play it with me, you know? Well, don't, don't, but, get, me uh, started. don't get me started on the bagpipes, Doug. They got, they got fingers. Oh, yeah. They're blowing. They're, they're doing this thing with the bag. They're doing 
four things at once. I'm like, and they're holding it. I'm like, that. I don't know how you guys do that. Bagpipers, you're a special breed. I'm surprised. That, have you ever? I, I, I'm surprised Valerie hasn't tried to show you how to play. Uh, yeah, she. It's probably not a good idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you know, if you ask her to like really explain it to you, there's in in a way there's a lot going on there, but in a way there's there's some simplicity to it because yeah. those because those drones are just tuned to a chord, mm-hmm. and um, so they play themselves, and she's reinflating the bladder with her breaths. And then squeezing it with her arm, and so the air is being forced out of the bladder into the chanter, which is basically like the little recorder, like you would use in school. I, I think it only has like nine notes. Three, three valves and lips, Doug. That's all. That's all. Yeah. You <laughs> three you valves and lips. That's probably that's probably something all of us musicians have in common. It's like you know, <laughs> we've we got an instrument that baffles other people. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I don't understand how you get a sound out of the thing when you blow in it. Um, how do you play all those notes and you only got three? They probably say you only got three notes on the thing. How do you play those? And it's your it's your special little wizard secret. You know, they're like, oh, I don't understand how you play that. And then we look at other people's instruments. I don't understand how you play that. Yeah. The, and, I, and what's scary is, is I know I, I have musician friends that that play like a dozen different instruments that aren't even in the same instrument family. I mean, we're talking about flute. I have a friend he's a, who's a local musician. His name's um, Tony Rinaldi. And he plays, uh, oh, he's amazing on the keyboards. And that's what he stays the most busiest doing, performing and instructing and stuff. But just to rub my face in it, he also plays bass, like at least is not better than I do, um, plays the flute. And he, and he does this while he's performing too. He'll be doing stuff on the keyboard. And then he'll pick up the flute, hold it by the mic and start playing the flute <laughs> and then do stuff. I mean, I, it, I just like all, okay, th- you just keep learning. You just keep mm-hmm. learning instruments. I have another friend I haven't spoken to in a, a while. I think he moved out of town. Um, uh, named Victorio. And I don't know how many instruments he plays, but it, to him, it's a fascination. He hears an instrument. And he just has to learn how to play it. And so the great thing is, is, you know, if he wants to record stuff, I mean, he can layer so many different sounds, jump right. into different bands or groups performing, you know, it's like, oh, you don't know. Does anybody know somebody that plays zither? And he could be like, I do, you know? Oh, wow. I mean, you know? it's crazy. All the guys that can play so many different instruments, talented indeed. Last thing I'll say about the trumpet, you know, you touched on a little bit, like it, it can be somber sounding like taps, you know, like a lowering of the flag it, and it calls right. upbeat energy, raise the flag. Like, uh, so oh, yeah. that's, that's what I love about the, the only instrument I know how to play. Uh, but let me ask you this, Doug, when did you put the trumpet down and then transition to pick up the bass guitar? I would think those are two kind of polar opposites. So what's the story behind that? Uh, by, by the time I was like a freshman, by when my, I'd always been exposed to pop popular music. Um, and I, so I appreciated the classical music and I would listen to, I'd listen to some classical pieces because the band, the band was performing them, but the, the, the school band was also, um, you know, cause this is the mid late seventies. The school band is also performing 
pop hits as a band. So we're doing um, Chicago tunes, um, Saturday in the Park, that sort of thing. And I'm listening to that stuff on the radio, mostly AM radio. My dad was more into like prog rock and FM radio kind of stuff. So he would, me and him would listen to that and he would kind of show that kind of stuff to me. And um, so it was, it wasn't a sudden jump, but it was just like exploring, like becoming aware of this other world that gave me different feelings. Like, you know, I remember I had like John Williams music because I would like, I, I, I had a cassette that had the um, Star Wars soundtrack he's, on he's it. He's the best. I love John Williams. And, and I would listen to it and try and sometimes play along with parts of it on the trumpet. But then I would listen to this other music and not hearing horns in it. And I, and I, I was excited about the way it made me feel. And then my dad was already playing guitar. So I would pick up his guitar and he would show me a few chords, but when he wasn't around, I would play along with uh, pop songs that I would like, and I would hear the bass line in it and play along with the bass line. Of course, it sounds funny, you know, because it's an octave higher on the guitar. doesn't have the same impact, but at the time, I mean, I'm just, I'm just a kid. I was just excited that I was following along with the song, and I was playing a lot of, like, you know, kind of R&B kind of pop stuff. I think one thing, one I distinctly remember was, is I was, I would have fun sitting and playing Heart of Glass by Blondie because it was really simple. It's just doom, 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 you know, and I was like, just proud of myself that I was nailing all the the chord changes, you know, just going from the doom, 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 and then, yeah, and, uh, so that's when I started, yeah, I started listening to that stuff and getting more excited about that than the trumpet when I, when my folks separated and, and we moved, I didn't join the school band. And instead I went to a pawn shop and got a bass guitar and I plugged it into the old component stereo that my dad let me have back when you had like this big fire and then you would put the tuner and the turntable on top of it and stack them and plug them in together the amp the amp component had an input on the front that just said microphone so you could plug the guitar into that and pump it through the big fat speakers so that was exciting for me the first time i had a, a real bass guitar and plugged it into something that could actually crank out some bass and played along with the song I, that that was i was i was hooked Wow. So after that, and I always still strummed on guitar a little bit and got a little better at it. And I play it pretty good now, but I'm definitely, you know, I, um, with, at the risk of sounding immodest, I, I think I've become a really proficient rhythm player and, um, and probably just because, you know, bass is a rhythm instrument. So, and I think rhythmically and I like rhythmically complicated music. So I, get around on those chord changes and different rhythms on the guitar but it, when it comes to a solo it becomes very composed and more like quick riffs on the bass kind of a feel to it on the guitar i can never pull off like a really emotional solo on the guitar i haven't really learned that language yet but um but yeah once i started playing like a real bass and 
playing along with, you know, the way I basically learned was I would just put a cassette of something I liked in the boom box and turn it up and then turn my dad's amp up next to it and just play along with the song. And then every time it, I, I goofed up, I just rewind it a little bit, listen to it. Uh, what, what did they do there? Oh, okay. We went up there and back. Okay. And then find it on the bass and then start the song over until I worked my way through it. Don't you think, well, let me, do you think that with, you know, the bass kind of being in the background, the rhythmic sound, uh, harmony at times, you know, do you think that maybe because of that, it's not the melody, the big shining, you know, sound that maybe because of that mistakes or hiccups can go unnoticed a little bit more to the untrained ear. I know you hear it or, you know, other people are hear it, but you know what I'm trying to say? Do you think that because it's kind of, wait, well, you know, people, are, oh, well, that sounded weird, but not really put their, their finger on it. No, I see what you're saying. And it's, and it's at this point, it's, it's harder for me to, it's harder for me to put myself in that mindset of hearing it. Like somebody that doesn't listen for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, I think I pictured, I know I can imagine. And, you know, and, you know, and I agree, there's probably a lot of styles of music um, where if it was just one note for a beat that it wouldn't sound as, it wouldn't sound as jarring, let's say, especially like if the vocalist missed a note. Yes. You know, that lead melody is, you know, people can tell immediately if something's not quite right, you know. Whereas, yeah, on the bass and popular music, a lot of the popular music, you could probably get away with a little hiccup there now and then. Of course, I mean, when I was learning to play, I gravitated towards um, music where the bass, uh, where the bass was really significant in the music. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I was listening to, you know, Rush, um, uh, The Police, um, <laughs> The Beatles, you know, I mean, ba- bands were like, the, the bassist were like writing the music and it was and, it, and the bass was a very distinctive part of the music. I mean, there's a lot of like um, uh, a lot of songs by the, like the police, for example, where the guitar, Andy Summers guitar is very almost sort of like watercolory and uh, either providing a sort of rhythmic thing or like, jazzy watercolor things going on like think of your nut song walking on the moon mm-hmm. by the yeah yeah I mean, so i'm saying it's like oh yeah it's almost like in that sense, he he doesn't have to move around as fast you know when the world is running down it's like almost like the bass riff just what's carrying it driving the song that in mm-hmm. that in the you know I, and i'm not don't get me wrong i'm not i i totally acknowledge that um the bass the bass is more of an ensemble instrument. Um, there are bass players that that have careers where they've made the, they've turned the bass into either a solo instrument or a lead instrument. Um, but I think for a lot of people, that's like an acquired taste, you know. Oh, oh yeah, and um, you know, my music teacher always told me, "Hey, the first, uh, the most important note is is the last one of the song, and the first." Right. The second one is the, uh, is the first note. It's a first impression, last impression. You know, yeah. Everything in the middle is okay. Um, yeah. w- when I think of bass players, you mentioned some great bands there. Uh, I think Fleetwood Mac, Lindsey Buckingham to me 
uh, yeah. is one of the just all timers. I don't know where, where you stand on that, but yeah. uh, you, you know, because he could do some solo stuff. I think a solo, there's not, a, let's put it this way, Doug. Maybe you probably agree with this. There's not enough solo bass, uh, you know, bass lines in, yeah. in music where they feature the bass artist yeah. for a good portion of the song. At least that's my opinion. No, there, well, there, no, there aren't a lot. And I think because of just the voice of the instrument being like, um, being, I mean, general, the general, generally a custom tone that people are, you know, it's, 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 um, low register um not always very bright sounding because that can sound jarring to people there's a lot of basses that i like that prefer a more bright trebly growly sound a more aggressive sound but now i mean so you're talking about like john mcbee the bassist for fleetwood mac yes 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 yes. yeah 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 and no yeah and now he's a good example of like he's he's not flashy but he's very solid groove and um very yeah very precise and when he does move around it complements the song very nicely but you're like you're saying now you've heard of like les claypool yes um primus i mean he he has he's created a distinctive style on the bass and he has a unique voice and it be and then his his band built a built that stuff around the bass but it's not a it's not a, a plain style and a, and a tone and, and everything that's, that would work in just any, that would work in every other kind of ensemble. It would just be too cluttery. You wouldn't hear most of it anyway. And, um, but like I said, his band built, built around it. And, and I, I, coincidentally enough, Les Claypool is a big Getty Lee fan. So he loves Rush too. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I mixed up the John McVie and uh, Lindsey Buckingham there. Sorry about that. Uh, so Lindsey Buckingham, I love too. I mean, yeah, like his, solid. his vocals and his guitar playing and his writing, you know, incredible, incredible stuff. Uh, well, well, let me, let's ask, uh, let's see here, Doug, as far as uh, guitar playing and, and being in, involved in different bands, um, where are some of the, the best places you have traveled to perform? What are some of your favorite memories uh, it could be the venue. It could be the amount of people. It could be just a place you've never been to perform or something. I don't know, anything memorable. What are some of the uh, best memories in performing in different locations that, that uh, you've, you've experienced? Wow. Uh, um, well, you're onto something when you, when you, when you say, when you mention those different factors, Yeah. like as far as like the venue, the audience, the, the size of it, because, um, uh, like I said, some of the, I, I think the ones that stick the most in my mind, um, well, <laughs> aside from the ones that stick in my mind the most as the most disastrous ones. So we'll just like set those, <laughs> we'll put those in a folder and set them over here for a oh, second. We, we can hear those too. Another we can hear those too. That's fine. <laughs> oh yeah. Well. <laughs> You know, I mean, as a musician, I'm sure you've you've experienced a few disasters, too. So, but um, <laughs> no, I think I think the, the, the things that always stick out to me are it was when it was the first performance um, that was that were one of those factors was something really different for the first time. Um, yeah, I still remember the first time I performed outside of the outside of the school band. And we, the school band used to kind of, school bands used to tour around and play at other schools. So, you know, I remember we had uniforms and we would go out of town and, 
you know, we drove from Tacoma to like Renton or uh, Stillicum or Seattle or something and play for a school up there. And, uh, and those were, that, those were more like field trips and they were fun. And when you're in a band and there's like, uh, like 35 other people, you, and you're seated, you know, yeah. <laughs> we only, we only, did, I only did the marching thing a few times, but yeah, when you're, when you're seated in rows and there's 35 of you in uniform, and then there's an auditorium of people that stage fright thing really doesn't come into it except that maybe a maybe a little bit of like I don't want to screw up and like have my bandmates next to me or the director glare at me you know but um I the first time I remember perform performing in a like a rock band setting was with a couple co-workers um back in 91 at another co-workers party and he had he had acres of land inherited from his mom up near Porterville in the middle of nowhere. So this was sort of like a, a bottom drawer burning man kind of thing, you know, where it was just like he had a barn that had that was missing one wall. And that sort of became like the bandstand. And then the field was just full of people and there were oil drums with fires going in them. So it was like a lot of people. And and I'm part of this three piece and we just been in our friend's garage writing <laughs> stuff and we're opening and we're opening for a band. And I remember they were called crisis. Oh, I kind of like that. I kind of like, yeah. That. And they were, and they were, and to, to me at the time, because like I hadn't done this before, you know, I show up and I'm wearing like, I, I'm just wearing like a regular shirt. Like I got on now and a pair of jeans, you know? And, uh, and uh, these guys were like a little more like professional, at least like on a local level, at least like where they they played around on a Southern California kind of level. So they're all looking, um, you know, very professional for the early 90s, you know, and they were actually they were a little bit behind the times in a way because they weren't like proto grunge. They were more like full on like 80s, 80s leather kind of look. But I'm kind of we're talking to him and chatting in him, and and it just struck me that the the guy that was the lead singer, you know, he, I, and I'm a young man at the time, and so at the time I'm looking at him and I'm thinking like this guy's obviously an older man with makeup and dyed hair and stuff. <laughs> um, but they were great. They were great guys. We we had our turn. We played like the four songs we knew, and got polite applause in between. And one criticism we got later was, is that we were so used to interacting with each other that we didn't interact with the crowd. Mm. So on a scale of one to 10, like a score of one to 10 for like stage presence, stage presence, we would probably, they would probably round it up to a one. Like we were probably like at a 0.7 and they would give us a one, sure. you know, cause we were basically, somebody was saying like, we're watching, we're like, can we join this jam session or something? It was like, we were playing with each other, you know? So I avoided the stage fright thing by just like, not, not hardly looking at the audience, you know? Yeah. Later, later as I started joining bands, like, you know, bigger bands with more experience, um, we played at a, um, I don't even remember, I don't think it's open anymore, a mid-sized venue here in Bakersfield. And I, I think it was called the Casablanca. 
and it because it also was part of a hotel and I <laughs> I definitely remember that one is exciting because it was the first time that I felt like I was confident enough with the music and the crowd really appreciated and I I, I experienced that weird kind of feedback where if when the crowd's into it you feel more confident relaxed and you feel like you can for lack of a better phrase kind of ham it up a little bit more like kind of do the rock star poses yeah um, I got with and went from there to another local group that I was with for like at least like four years and they were called grass house and um and they were all very talented guys and much younger than me by now i'm like in my late 20s these guys were all just getting out of high school but they were almost like prodigies for their age you know and i still stay in touch with a couple of them and one of them became a best friend and he's coincidentally in a well-known celtic rock band called um, gaelic storm it's kind of weird we kind of wound up in that same kind of place you know um but we started going out of town and playing places, but we played a outdoor festival up in Modesto. And I remember that show because it was the first time I got like out on a big stage outside and there was a bunch of people. And, you know, in my inexperienced imagination at the time, I could stick that in my head and then let, let, let with years go by, let the memory morph into it seeming like Woodstock, (laughs) but just all the people, I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. Uh, And I, I mean, I I don't want to eat up a lot of time just going incrementally, but a couple, a couple others that really stick out. um, One that, that Valerie was part of that was um, we'd been doing the um, Fremont street experience in Vegas since 2011 or think um and valerie i think okay she came on board with us to become our new piper and we still had our old i mean we still had our original guitar lead lead guitarist and lead vocalist and my songwriting partner richard cheney and he stayed on board for the remainder of 2017 to kind of like we, we had people on the sidelines that we were training, but he stayed on board to see us through these really high profile gigs that we had already contracted for. And so Valerie went with us on those. So we went to um, Alaska and Denver and did those. And we still had Rich, but at the end of 2017, Rich did his last show with us. And then, so we brought in um, our, guitar, our guitarist, Zach, uh, um, and our new vocalist, um, Shay. Mm-hmm. And so now it was like, now we had our new lineup. You know, we had Zach Wolpert on guitar and backing vocals. We had Shay Munoz on lead vocal. And we were under a lot of pressure because in some ways, because the, all the promoters and our fans were so used to like Richard's voice. Yeah. And the challenge that... I felt like that I had to overcome a couple times is, you know, the, the, the surviving core of the original band is myself and Walter, the bass player and the drummer. And I would tell my friends, I felt like this is like you're telling the promoter, um, yeah, you can get Aerosmith. And they're like, yeah. And they're like, 
you, but Joe Perry and Steven Tyler aren't in the band anymore, but they still got the original drummer and bass player. And they're like, oh, yeah, can we call you back? Um, but I think because of that, because of that pressure, um, at, we, at, it lit the proverbial fire under our ass, you know, to we were like deadly serious about it. And we worked so hard and rehearsed so much and stepped up our stage game. Um, Walt had a friend make us these light boxes where you step on the plexiglass and light comes out of it. And we were trying to incorporate that. We, we were just taking things to another level. And so that those Fremont Street shows were the really the debut of this new lineup. And, um, and those shows still stand out to me those Fremont Street nights still stand out to me as some of the best like live music experiences I've ever had. Just mm -hmm. the energy, the professionalism of the people around the stage on me, the impression we made. I mean, or just to put it in just really simple terms, I just thought like, we man, we were so badass. I mean, we just kicked ass at, that, at those shows. You guys were awesome, man. Uh, you know, all the couple of years I watched you guys, whether it was the old lineup or the new lineup, and I know it's a new lineup even now with, you know, the changes and everything, but you guys are incredible. And that's top to bottom. That's everybody, uh, Rich to Walt to you, uh, you know, Shay, Shay Munoz, incredible vocal. Zach's a great guitarist. Um, I, I encourage anybody to, to check out the Angry Brian's in moving forward. Uh, with their shows because uh, a, a great, great sound. And, you know, it's unfortunate things didn't work out and everything. Everyone's kind of got, uh, you know, different lives and things that, that don't always work out. It is what it is. But for a short time, when people can get together and make beautiful music, uh, that, that really is special, uh, Douglas. And, you know, to me, if you, if you sum up music, think of it this way. It is, it is a, a language of one. There's not a different, different word for a certain note you know, in other languages, music is universal to everybody. Yes. Same sound. That's, that is what's beautiful about it. You don't have to translate it into another language. Music is music. Right. So uh, You're it, right. it's a, it's a beautiful thing that has existed forever and, and more music will be made in the future, you know, whether it be classical or it's rock or jazz or whatever. I mean, right. it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And yeah, I was so happy to be, around and listen to you guys then in vegas that was awesome and it was really cool it's much it was much like seeing players backstage after a game or something like yeah. i go backstage and you guys would be all you know amped up and just kind of letting everything out and i'd be like wow this is so this is what rock stars are like back <laughs> just like let me decompress say <laughs> exactly. I gotta say, I was I was very kind of you to invite me, and I was very flattered to have actually somebody um, utter the sentence to me, and we can talk about your musical career. <laughs> oh, Doug, because <laughs> I because yeah. I because I, I feel like I've been like struggling all this time, so that somehow I could begin one. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what's the old you know a tortured artist or, or whatever the the phrase is. I know that with musicians, um, you know, like, well, like any artist, I guess, like a painter, they, they paint for fun and, you know, it's their canvas. But with musicians, you do it because you love it. And it's not always about the accolades or the big money and, and all those things are great. But people doing something because they love it and are passionate about it, to me, that's something that's always 
uh, inspiring, inspiring to me. And, uh, you know, whether you have a, a gold record someday or not, a, a musical career is still a musical right. career. So how would you sum up your, your journey? If, if you could, Doug, along the way from learning trumpet at a, at an early age to, to playing uh, the bass on, on Fremont street. Um, how would I sum it up? <laughs> still growing, still going, still. Up. I would say, yeah, still growing. Continued. The last, last year has been rough, but, um, the band will get back going. Like I mentioned, I'm going to try and, um, fill up some more of, of my time keeping up with chops and stuff by, um, working with some other local musicians and getting back into the smaller venues and, um, playing popular songs people like, and, uh, and working on some of my other, um, work. I'm looking forward to maybe branching out a little bit more as far as um, working on some of the other music that I write that doesn't fit the genre that um, the Angry Bryants works in. I like that. Just so that'll be a different chapter for me. You know, um, it started a little bit before the pandemic with just, I just, uh, I would just take my guitar instead of my bass and just go around to the open mics and just sing and play guitar. Wow. And just, and just do stuff I wrote and just see how it went over. And then I would make um, demos of it on my eight track recorder and just do all the instruments myself just to see how it all fit together. And so I'm, I'm hoping to like, do everything I do with the angry Brian's, but then also do that at the same time, you know? And I mean, if I could, I, I don't know if I, the angry Brian's was definitely a great second job as far as income. <laughs> and I missed that part too, because of the pandemic, I definitely whittled down I definitely had to tighten my belt, but I'm sure we've all experienced that. And then to compensate for it, it's easier to tighten your belt when you're not going out to eat as much and you go into the movies and, True. You know, you make a little less spend a little less you know maybe well, before we go do we have a few more minutes yeah i had i had one more question for you but yeah go ahead oh i was just gonna ask i mean um because we haven't talked in a long time are, are you still um are you still doing your athletic no, stuff no it's funny how things change right so last march in march of 2020 uh yeah. when you know the world stopped turning for a second there um yeah. my baseball season ended it was they shut it all down college basically well, so I imagine it was just like with us yeah yeah I was also, like, most of the thing you do it's like you, we can't do right yeah you're not allowed now. to do what you do yeah. anymore it's like okay well yeah. um so it was really eye-opening for me to be to have that happen to anybody to 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 lose right. that so I said okay I've had a good run I have a ton of memories I've traveled I've done a lot of great things I need to figure out something that is not uh, that is lockdown uh, proof basically and start to kind of right. live that life. And if it's not something I have to completely walk away from, I can, I can go back. But anyway, right. I, uh, I stepped away from baseball umpiring. I needed a break anyway. And, and now I'm a, uh, a FedEx courier, Doug Douglas. I drive FedEx trucks and uh, I honestly, yeah. I couldn't be happier. I, I found right. a, a piece. I've been able yeah. to do podcasts for my hobby and, yeah. I, I am very much content right now. And it'll, and it'll wind up blossoming into more than a hobby. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's an addiction. You never, you never know. I mean, this is probably the first one I've, I've watched some, but this is probably the first one I've participated in. But, um, but uh, I mean, 
I think you pre present very professionally. So I think you'll, um, I think you'll gain an audience, you know, I, I but appreciate that. I agree with you that it, I agree, agree with you that it's nice to have the, um, the pandemic proof gig too, because that's what helped me because my, um, you know, musicians always like to say day gig. Yeah. Like they, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's not what I, it's not what I really do, but you know, <laughs> I do it to make, but anyway, but seriously though, but yeah, but my day, day gig, I work for a property management company doing maintenance. Mm. And most of my work I do by most voluntary. So I don't have to get within like 50 feet of anybody all day. So when they did the lockdown, it meant that like I went to work and I worked and then I stopped at the store and got stuff and then I went home. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, my, but it, it didn't affect my job. It didn't affect my job at all. Well, so my more, so my more glamorous second job was basically got the guillotine. Yeah. But, but I still had, I still had the regular job to fall back on. So I, 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 I feel blessed in that because like, like, unlike a lot of other people, I didn't have to scramble for, you know, money for food and rent you oh, know man it was a dark time for a while and you know i think the whole what is this uh, april 15th this is about tax day i know it's it's uh delayed and everything but you know this time of year everyone looks you got to look at those pieces of paper and be like okay what what brings in more money and, and pays for my life more uh you know my my fun hobby or my career job here well there's a balance right so it's it's tough at times and I'm, I'm lucky that my, my daughter has grown and has her own career. So I don't have, I could, I could make decisions that I could, I could make decisions that I can regret later and I'm not dragging it. I'm not dragging anybody else into the wilderness doing it at this point, you know, Play, oh, playing with house money, man. That's uh, it's a, it's, it's fun when people have the ability to do that, to try things. I had no idea what I was doing when I started this. I still don't. You are like, you're going to be like the fourth, I think. Uh, episode if if you're willing of course that's going to be on video i i just started oh, okay. doing doing a youtube channel where you can some people want to see the conversation i was like okay you know so here we are so always evolving always improving that's uh the fun thing about it is just doing it because you're passionate about it that's right well let me ask you one final question doug uh, I I've been in plenty of, uh, uh, you know, bars on a Saturday night or, uh, Vegas or wherever lounges where you're, you're in the crowd, you look up, there's a live band. There's nothing better than a live band at a venue. Um, and people are drinking, having a good time dancing. I know what it's like to be in the crowd looking up and hearing a good band, but what is it like for you and, and other musicians to be up on stage um, you're not the, the main attraction necessarily. People are there to have a good time, to have some drinks and just blow off steam. Their eyes aren't yeah. glued to you. You're, you're there, but they're there to dance and have a good time. What does that do for musicians on stage to look out and see people having a good time to your sound? Um, wow. I'm trying to find words to express it really good. I mean, it definitely, it's a whole, it adds a whole nother dimension to playing. I mean, there's the enjoyment I get by my sitting, sitting alone and writing music and having, having an idea that I like, and I record it and add an apartment. I go, this is coming together. I'm really pleased with this. Then when I join my friends and we're playing, then that's a whole nother level. 
And then when we have an audience and, um, and let's assume that it's an audience that's enjoying it a little bit, you know, <laughs> and like you said, depending on the venue and the audience, a lot of times you're like a, you're like a jukebox with animatronic figures accompanying it, you know? <laughs> so it's sort of like, you're, you know what I mean? Not the focus, but you know what though? I've noticed it, it, it even in a little venue, there's always a few people, even though you might look out and there's people talking over you and, and, and you just see them in profile because they're yelling across the table at each other. And right when I get to that part of the song where I do like my favorite part where I can actually pull off this sort of soft vocal and right in, right in the middle of that note at the end, I hear some dude laugh at a table and, and go, <laughs> dude, that was sick. Uh, talking about something he saw on TV. Um, that's, that part's not always fun, but like you said, that's sort of what we're there for. Um, but there's always, there, there, oh, there's always a few people that will either be watching from the table and there's always that, there's always a few people that will get up and stand in front of the bandstand. And even if they just stand there and kind of move a little bit, it always, I always love it when um, there's, there's somebody that gets up and, and it's just, or a couple, a couple people that get up and are just dancing and having a good time, you know, as long as there's one or two, even it, like I said, it's, and, and then you're still playing with your friends. And so sometimes even if the, the venue isn't that exciting and the crowd reaction isn't all that great, you're still live and playing with your friends and there's that extra electricity to it because you know you're all at your top, trying to be at the top of your game because you're not at rehearsal where you can goof yeah. up and stuff. Yeah, you're trying, you, you, and if you play well, you, you pat each other on the back and you know look forward to the next gig. Yeah, well, I've umpired baseball games in front of, uh, you know, thousands of people, 10, 12,000 fans. I've also yeah. umpired it in front of uh, 50 people, 100 people. The game is still the same. You still have to perform and be at your best. So there's something yep. to be said for that. And uh, you know what? I'll say this, Doug, at the end of the end of the day, end of the week, end of everyone's work week, uh, people need those musicians on stage to kind of just, you know, blow everything off and be like all right i'm gonna let off some steve here steam here and dance and it, a little bit and feel good and it's starting it's starting slowly it's starting to happen again i'm so i'm seeing it on my news feed my friends local bands of friends of mine that are like you know um we're at second phase brewery on the 20th you know come on down and it's i got so i feel like an idiot i had a couple of friends that always were like all um travis byler live on you know november 13th um, uh, at the Crystal Palace, seven o'clock, and I'm drop by to visit another friend. Another friend on my way there. Where are you going after this? Well, to Crystal Palace. I think they're just live streaming that, and I'm like, really? Damn it! <laughs> 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 like, I was like, oh, I thought they were going to actually let people in, but no, these are like they're people are they're they're trying to be uh, safe, you know, with the distancing and, yeah. and masks and all that. But but the the bands are starting to go out there and play again. Well, I think everybody needs that. We need to get out. We need to hear live music. Um, just be around people. I think that's that's really healthy. And hopefully, here in the very near future, that will be approved upon. And uh, yeah, all the all the Bakersfield bars and venues will be full of live music once again. Uh, Douglas Kirk, I appreciate your time today. This has been so much fun catching up, talking about music. Any uh, parting words of wisdom or anything you'd like to say as we wrap it up here? Oh, parting words of wisdom. Um, wow. 
I mean, as far as as far as being a musician, um, like you like you mentioned, Matthew, uh, um, just do it. Do as much as you enjoy. Um, try not to make it. Try not to make it too goal oriented. Try and have some. You know, it's okay to dream, but try not to make it too much where um, you have this end result that you're that you're going to be disappointed if you don't achieve that. And you can dismiss me if you like. <laughs> if you're just starting out and you're talented, you can say, "Well, this is a guy that looks like he could be my grandpa's friend, <laughs> who isn't a big star." Saying, "Don't try and be a big star." I'm not saying don't try and be a big star, but I'm just saying you really, you really need to enjoy it. Um, and so don't get discouraged if you don't get all the, um, that you don't get the reputation and all the appreciation and all the adulation and the fortune and everything that you're, that you, that you think you deserve, you know, don't, don't give up if you don't get that right away. You might, you might never get to that super stratosphere most statistically most of us won't mm. you know but like i said don't don't make that too big a part of it you know if you enjoy it you're going to find other people that enjoy what you do and and um like seriously if you're already doing it you're going to find you're going to reflect on it eventually and realize that there's that there's no giving it up anyway yeah you know? you, you got to have fun and and it's about the relationships uh, along the way i got to imagine too right other people oh yeah i, I I, all the, I've, I've been able to, I've met so many cool people and been able to travel places that, that were direct, a direct result of me being involved in music and playing in bands. Man. Well, Doug, uh, very well said. I appreciate everything. Thank you for, for chatting with me. It's fun to bounce around different subject matter on my podcast. And today talking about music uh, is something I think all of us can, can get behind, even if you don't, uh, play music. Uh, you know, I think most of us like music. So to hear kind of the, the backstories and someone who's passionate about it, man, I, I definitely uh, will take a lot of things with me today. I appreciate you coming on the program, Doug. Thank you for the invitation, Matthew. And uh, I look forward to future uh, podcasts you do with other musicians. Oh, I, hey, I got to put, I got to put a few more together. Anybody with that matter, when, what do you already have? Uh, what do you have scheduled next? Well, we have a few, we have a, actually a, a, a comedian coming. We have a comedian on. We oh. have, uh, I have an, actually another uh, a friend of mine who's coming back on the program. He's a band guy. He does a lot of sound recording and sound en engineer stuff. So okay. uh, uh, he'll be on here in the next week or so, somewhere in there. I'll keep you posted. Excellent. Wide range of guests. That's what we're shooting for. Doug, thanks again. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, Matthew. All right, guys. Hello to Valerie for me. I shall do that. I shall do that. She was very excited. The fact that I was recording with you. So uh, she said, tell Doug hi. I said, of course, I'll tell Doug hi. You guys. Yes, of course. Anyway, thanks again, Doug. Guys, thank you for listening to this edition of the Get Home Safe podcast. Have a great rest of your week. And as always, guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Mm -hmm.